Well, it's good to be uh, with you here this morning on this very exciting Wednesday morning, and I'm glad to see that the good swimmers amongst us have made it here to chapel. Um, if you would, open your Bibles to the book of Judges. We're going to be looking at the book of Judges, starting at Judges chapter 8, verse 29. Judges chapter 8, verse 29. I'm going to take my watch off here because I cannot see the clock in the back. That is for your benefit. All right. Jeroboam, the son of Joash, went and lived in his own house. Now Gideon had 70 sons, his own offspring, for he had many wives. And his concubine, who was in Shechem, also bore him a son, and he called his name Abimelech. And Gideon, the son of Joash, died in a good old age and was buried in the tomb of Joash's father at Ophrah of the Abiezrites. As soon as Gideon died, the people of Israel turned again and whored after the Baals and made Baal Bereth their god. And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God who had delivered them from the hand of all their enemies on every side. And they did not show steadfast love to the family of Jeroboam, that is Gideon, in return for all the good that he had done to Israel. Now Abimelech, the son of Jeroboam, went to Shechem to his mother's relatives and said to them and to the whole clan of his mother's family, say in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, which is better for you that all 70 of the sons of Jeroboam rule over you or that one rule over you? Remember also that I am your bone and your flesh." And his mother's relatives spoke all these words on his behalf in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, and their hearts inclined to follow Abimelech. For they said, he is our brother. And they gave him 70 pieces of silver out of the house of Baal-bereth, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless fellows who followed him. And he went to his father's house at Ophrah and killed his brothers, the sons of Jeroboam, 70 men on one stone. But Jotham... The youngest of Jeroboam was left, for he hid himself. And all the leaders of Shechem came together at Beth Milo. And they went and made Abimelech king by the oak of the pillar at Shechem. When it was told to Jotham, he went and stood on top of Mount Gerizim and cried out aloud and said to them, Listen to me, you leaders of Shechem, that God may listen to you. The trees once went out to anoint a king over them. And they said to the olive tree, Reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, Shall I leave my abundance by which gods and men are honored and go hold sway over the trees? And the trees said to the fig tree, You come over and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, Shall I leave my sweetness and my good fruit and go hold sway over the trees? And the tree said to the vine, You come and reign over us. But the vine said to them, Shall I leave my wine and cheers that, that cheers God and men and go hold over sway over the trees? Then all the trees said to the bramble, you come and reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, if in good faith you are anointing me king over you, then come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Now therefore, if you acted in good faith and integrity when you made Abimelech king, and if you have dealt well with Jeroboam and his house and have done to him as his deeds deserve, For my father fought for you and risked his life and delivered you from the hand of Midian. And you have risen up against my father's house this day and have killed his sons, 70 men on one stone, and have made Abimelech, the son of his female servant, king over the leaders of Shechem. 
because he is your relative, if you then have acted in good faith and integrity with Jeroboam and with his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come out from Abimelech and devour the leaders of Shechem and Beth Milo. And let fire come out from the leaders of Shechem and from Beth Milo and devour Abimelech. And Jotham ran away and fled and went to Beer and lived there because of Abimelech, his brother. Father, thank you for this word. I pray that you would help us to apply this to our lives for our good and your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yesterday, Dr. Carter spent a good deal of time unpacking some Quentin Tarantino movies, some uh, violent and um, distressing and disturbing movies. And today I would like to also start with another disturbing movie of a different um, director, the Coen brothers, and that is the movie No Country for Old Men. And in the movie No Country for Old Men, what you have uh, showcased is a psychopathic killer that has um, some standards, so to speak. Um, and it is a very, very disturbing movie as he goes uh, throughout Texas, uh, countryside, uh, killing individual after individual. He's got this air cylinder, and he's got a um, device that is designed to slaughter cattle. And um, as he goes, his mayhem goes with him. He is sort of personified evil. But another aspect of this movie that is very disturbing is that pretty much everybody in the movie uh, is portrayed as evil, and evil flowing out from them, whether it be businessmen or near the end of the movie, two boys that come up riding on their bikes who have this evil come from without them. And the result is mayhem and murder, and, um, and things go from bad to worse. Enter Abimelech, okay? Enter Abimelech. In Abimelech's desire to be king, he slaughters 70 of his half-brothers on a single stone. What's going on there? What's this issue with the single stone? Well, in effect, what's being portrayed here, uh, the image that we're left with is um, ritual sacrifice uh, that would take place with animals on a single stone. And in effect, Abimelech for his coronation, uh, for ritual slaughter, is using his own brothers as the ritual sacrifice. That's messed up. It is really messed up. What's the message of the book of Judges? The message of the book of Judges is not so much be like the judges, you know, be like Abimelech. Uh, the message of the book of Judges is that Israel had no king and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. You see the phrase, Israel had no king, repeated four times near the end of the book of Judges. Israel had no king, Israel had no king, Israel had no king, Israel had no king, and then twice accompanied with, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And so the, the history of the book of Judges, what is portrayed is that people are doing what is right in their own eyes, and things are going from bad to worse, and it is an extremely disturbing book, and it's supposed to be, because it's an apologetic for kingship. Now, some of you may be aware of the fact that in 1 Samuel, we have a little problem uh, with Israel's desire to be a king, and there are lots of bad reasons for desiring a king. 
Uh, but we know that kingship in and of itself is not something that God disapproves of because in the book of Deuteronomy, in the law, we have provision for the kingship. And so what we have in the book of Judges is very clearly an apologetic for kingship and specifically the right kind of king. We need a king like David. And what we find here pointedly in this Abimelech encounter is that it's just as bad to choose the wrong king as it is not to have any king at all. Let me just ask you if, as we begin today, uh, is your life spinning out of control? Um, Is there mayhem in your life? Who is your king? Who's your king? Judges 9 shows us that it's not simply about having a king, but the right king. We find in Judges chapters 8 and 9 that the people wanted a king. They wanted Gideon. Gideon had effected through the power of God this great victory over the Midianites, and they came to him and they said, we want you to be king, we want your children to reign after you, we want you to set up a dynasty. And so Gideon says to them, no, God, God is going to be your king. God will rule over you. The Lord will rule over you, not me. And it sounds very humble, but what does he do next? Well, the next thing he does is he takes the spoils of war like a king would take the spoils of war. And then he takes a harem, like a king would take a harem. And then he names his son Abimelech, which means my father is king. And so in his words, Gideon is saying, no, 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 no. I don't want to be a king. But with his actions, he's saying, I rather like the idea of being a king. And so it sets up this next episode with the people desiring a king, looking to the sons of Gideon to be a king and choosing Abimelech. Enter Jotham. Jotham's standing on Mount Gerizim. He's the one remaining son of Gideon. He escaped slaughter. And he begins this parable, and he talks about the tree asking the fruit trees and the grapevines to be their king, And what is uh, going on there is the the fruit trees and the vines are good and helpful and productive. Uh, And this is emblematic of Gideon and his other children. And they say, no, we won't be king. And so finally they go to the, the bramble, the thorns that are not productive. They're good for nothing, which is emblematic of Abimelech. And uh, they say, will you be our king? And he says, yes, I will be your king. And then he says... If you have acted in good faith in response to the good that Gideon has shown you, then fine. But if not, may fire come out from Abimelech and devour the people that chose him to be king. And may the towns of Shechem in Beth Milo, may fire come out from them and destroy Abimelech. And so there's this, there's this prophecy, there's this curse that is uttered on Mount Gerizim. What's interesting about that is when the Israelites came into the land of Israel... Um, the first thing they did was they confirmed the covenant and they spoke of covenant curses and covenant blessings. And so half of the Israelites, kind of like what we might do today, we might split up in a little bit, but half the Israelites went to Mount Gerizim and they said they pronounced covenant blessings for keeping the covenant. And the other half went to Mount Ebal and they proclaimed covenant curses for disobeying the covenant. 
And what we have here is on Mount Gerizim, Jotham is pronouncing curses for disobeying the covenant. And everything that unfolds after that is the outworking of this curse. It says here that as a result, God sent an evil spirit between the people of Shechem and Abimelech. And as a result, the people of Shechem began to um, uh, have people go out and, into the countryside and the roads, and they, were, uh, they stole from the people, they robbed them just purposely to get under Abimelech's skin. And uh, Abimelech came against the city, and there was a, a rival king that arose that said, you should follow me, not Abimelech. Um, and then Abimelech came, and he took the city, and everybody that was left in the city went into this tower and was protected by this tower. And so Abimelech and his men took bramble uh, and took wood and burned the tower down with the people inside it, killed uh, around 1,000 men and women, it said. So the first half of the pronouncement of Jotham comes true. Fire comes out from Abimelech and destroys the people. Well, then he goes to a nearby town, does the same thing. Abimelech takes the city. The people go into a tower. Abimelech thinks, this is great. It's going to happen like before. They start to put wood around the tower and begin to light it. Abimelech starts to light it, and a woman uh, in the tower drops an upper millstone on his head, mortally wounds him, and Abimelech says to his armor bearer, run me through, I don't want to be killed by a woman. Uh, it is kind of interesting, you know, in that day women were not involved in warfare. Uh, the men of the tower might have had swords, the men of the tower might have had bows and arrows, and so she uses whatever she can use, a domestic implement, to kill him. It'd sort of be like in our day and age if somebody dropped a vacuum cleaner on his head. Uh, not a particularly noble way of, go of going. He might have thought, seriously, a vacuum cleaner? And, um, but he did not want to be um, killed by a woman, and so his armor bearer ran him through, and thus the curse of Jotham falls on Abimelech. So what are the takeaways? Go thou and do likewise. It is one messed up, disturbing story. Well, first of all, as I said, picking the wrong king is as bad as having no king at all. You see, in the book of Judges, the people of Israel were attacked by the Moabites and the Midianites and the Canaanites. But in this instance, the conflict is completely internal. The children of Israel are fighting against themselves. They are killing themselves. No outside forces are involved, and it's just as lethal as if it was a foreign invader. Somebody reading this account in the original context, somebody in the time of David, would have seen some very real similarities between Abimelech and Saul. Remember how Abimelech and the people of Shechem, there was this evil spirit between them, and we read about Saul in the Bible that God sent an evil spirit to torment him like he sent an evil spirit between the people of Shechem and Abimelech. You remember the end of Saul's life? At the end of Saul's life, he says, armor bearer, run me through. He was killed by an armor bearer. So the people reading this at the time of Saul, wondering, should David's dynasty be the dynasty or should Saul's dynasty be the dynasty? would have said, we need to pick 
the better king. We need to pick the good king. We need to pick the Davidic king. Choose the right king, a good king like David. Now, we know that David was a relatively good king, not a perfect king, but the Bible points to David's great, greater son, Jesus Christ. He is to be our king. He is to be the one that we put our trust in. He is your sovereign, King Jesus. Do you believe that Jesus is acting for your best interest, for your good, that he is a good king? We know that Abimelech was a horrible king. Abimelech was self-serving. He was selfish. He was uh, brutal. He was vindictive. He was impatient. What about King Jesus? Well, even his name means Yahweh saves, and that he came to save his people from their sins. Matthew 20, 28, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Abimelech sacrificed the sheep. Jesus died for the sheep. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, though he was in the very form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is indeed a king that you can trust. You can trust your very life with him. You know, we don't talk much about monarchy in our culture. Uh, just a, a little information, maybe some of you guys didn't get the memo, but Queen Beatrice of the Netherlands yesterday announced that she is abdicating her throne uh, so that her son Willem Alexander uh, can be king. Um, now, maybe you didn't get that memo. Um, some of the folks from Alberta might have known that. Um, a, few knew, a few of you know what I'm talking about. Um, but, you know, we don't, that, that probably wasn't really big on your radar screen yesterday, was it? Um, you know, monarchy's kind of a quaint little idea, sort of fun, um, but it doesn't take much weight in our lives. So what does it mean for you to have Jesus as your king? Well, Jesus says it this way. Matthew 7, 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house. And it fell, and great was its fall. Do you hear the words of Jesus and do them? Is Jesus your king? Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, not everyone who says to me, King, King, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. There are many talented people 
that don't know Jesus. There are many talented people that don't have Jesus as king. There are even many amazing ministry experiences and works that people have, and it doesn't mean that they know Jesus. In a recent article in Esquire magazine, Megan Fox uh, reveals uh, some interesting things. Uh, For instance, that she goes to church at times, and that she has the ability to speak in tongues, and that she also believes in leprechauns. Um, Now, I I really do hope that Megan Fox knows Jesus. Uh, I really do. But my point is this, that it is possible to have spiritual experiences and do great things, and not have Jesus as your king. Luke 6, 47, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Why do you call me King, King, and not do the things I tell you? So how do you know if Jesus is your king? Well, a good place to go, and I would encourage you to do this today, is to just open your Bible to Matthew chapter 5 through 7, and read the Sermon on the Mount. And go through it and say, am I willing to bow the knee to what Jesus says? What he says about anger and divorce and lust? Keeping your word about forgiveness? About trusting him? And various other things. Ask yourself, am I following the words of Jesus as my rule and my guide? Or am I following someone else? You know, the movie No Country for Old Men, uh, one of the the most disturbing things about the movie is just this pervasive evil, this personification of evil, but the whole movie is littered with people that have evil hearts. And I saw it this weekend. It was the second time it was on television. I kind of got hooked in, and I'd seen it before. Um, But I want to say I I have a little bit of a different take on it than Dr. Carter did on movies yesterday, uh, where he was encouraging you Uh, I'm not necessarily encouraging you to see this movie, and I think it's not because I disagree with him. I think there's value in seeing uh, an excellently done movie, and this movie is an excellently done movie. It's really exceptional, but part of it has to do with my experience. When I was in college, like you, I took a a course in uh, movie review from my Christian college. Um, I love movies. I love kind of getting the underlying philosophy and what they're trying to say, and we watched a lot of heavy movies, you know, Igmar Bergman, and very depressing movies, uh, and I loved it because we got to get into the, you know, what's really going on here, and then I began to get in ministry, and specifically in the local church, and what I found was that I dealt with mayhem on a daily basis. I dealt with the fallout of people not having Jesus as their king. Um, And here's my point. My point is that it's not just about people out there. It's not just about the big bad world out there. The the disturbing part is it has to do with what's in here. And I found that I had very little desire to see mayhem portrayed in movies um, because I was seeing it portrayed before me every day, and I didn't need another dose of it. Jesus said, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. These are the things that we deal with. These are the things that bring mayhem 
and destruction into our lives. This is why we need a deliverer. This is why we need a king. We need King Jesus because we need King Jesus to deal with the junk in our lives that comes from the evil in our own hearts. We need him as king. Romans 7, 23 says it this way. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, King Jesus deals with the stinking body of death that we deal with every day. I want to say this. There's no incompatibility between saying that Jesus Christ saves us by grace through faith and having Jesus Christ as your king and calling you to bow the knee to King Jesus. The Bible clearly says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not as a result of works that no one can boast. We cannot boast about anything uh, that Jesus does in our lives or anything that we receive from Jesus. It is a gift from God. And yet, if we believe that Jesus Christ indeed is our king and our shepherd who loves us, then we gladly bow the knee out of appreciation for what he's done for us. And... And because it's good for us, because it is good that the results of rebelling against King Jesus brings mayhem and destruction and despair into our lives. And he loves us and would have us live for him and know the grace of what it means to have Jesus as your king. And so is there mayhem in your life? Is it because you're in rebellion to Jesus? Now, I want to be very careful here. There are lots of reasons why you can have problems in your life, right? The Bible says that we can suffer for righteousness' sake. We, could, we can be righteous, and because of the very things that we do for Jesus, we can endure difficulty and hardship and persecution in our lives. And the Bible says that we live in a world that is cursed, and so there are thorns and thistles, and there are just problems that, are, uh, that come from living in a fallen world. So I'm not asking you guys to, to, to gaze at your navels too much here. I'm not asking you to be too introspective. My question is really a very simple one. As you maybe go through today and look at the Sermon on the Mount uh, and you think about what Jesus has said, where is it obvious that you are in rebellion to King Jesus? And where is it obvious that as a result of the rebellion, you have incurred some of this despair and destruction in your lives? All right? That's all I'm asking you to think about. Not go any deeper. I'm not trying to uh, cause you to be um, unnecessarily uh, guilted. But I do want you to think about it and ask the question, where it's obvious, where am I not bowing the knee to King Jesus? The Wall Street Journal, of all places, wrote an article. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal uh, recently, January 30th, why most men aren't man enough to handle porn. Very interesting. All parties on the left and the right believe in freedom. The question is whether there are ways of having too much freedom or of using it in the very wrong way so that it starts to hurt other things we care about like prosperity, safety, and happiness. 
the author goes on to say, anyone who has experienced the power of sex in general and, the inter and internet pornography in particular uh, to reroute our priorities is unlikely to be so sanguine about liberty. Pornography, like alcohol and drugs, weakens our ability to endure the kind of suffering that kinds of suffering that are necessary for us to direct our lives properly. In particular, it reduces our capacity to tolerate those two ambiguous goods, anxiety and boredom. Our anxious moods are genuine but confused signals that something is amiss. And so they need to be listened to and patiently interpreted, which is unlikely to happen when we have to hand one of the most powerful tools of distraction ever invented. The entire internet is, in a sense, pornographic. It is a system which uh, a deliver of constant excitement which we have no innate capacity to resist, a system which leads us down paths, many of which have nothing to do with our real needs. Furthermore, pornography weakens our tolerance for the kind of boredom which is vital to give our minds and the space in which good ideas can emerge, the sort of creative boredom we experience in a bath or on a long train journey. In other words, coming back to the text, it's for our good that we bow the knee to Jesus. It's absolutely for our good, and there's no incompatibility in saying that we rest in the work of Jesus Christ. We trust in him and his goodness and his perfection for our standing before God, and then we bow the knee because we love Jesus and because we believe his kingship, his rule, his reign in our lives is good. When I, was in, uh, when I was in high school and college, there was a, a debate current in evangelical circles, and that was the lordship debate. Is, uh, is Jesus to be received as savior, or is Jesus to be received as lord? And some of you who are my age will remember that. And uh, it was really interesting, you know, people would say, well, if you say Jesus needs to be received as lord, then this isn't pure grace. And others said, no, well, the Bible says he's to be received as Savior and Lord, and so I went to every chapel speaker in my high school that came in, and I said, so what do you think? And one perceptive man said it this way. He said, you don't receive Jesus as anything. You receive Jesus, and you receive Jesus for who he is, and Jesus is Savior, and Jesus is Lord, and Jesus is a lot of other things. You receive Jesus. Guess what? Whether you receive him as Lord or not, he is Lord. Revelation 19, 15, from the mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. Revelation eleven fifteen. then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign ever and ever. Jesus is king, whether we acknowledge him or not. But here's the good news. The good news is he is a good king. And the good news is he is dealing with the corruption in this world, and he is dealing with the corruption in your hearts. As you grapple with the corruption of your hearts, Jesus is there with you, grappling so that you will bow the knee to him and know the goodness of what it means to have Jesus as your king. He who is seated on the throne says to you, I am making all things new. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, come. Let's pray.
Father, thank you. We thank you for sending Jesus into our lives. We thank you for sending Jesus into this world. We thank you that Jesus rules and reigns. And we thank you someday he will come back and he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. All things will be made new. We pray that it would begin with us now. In Jesus' name.